Look, um, so we're doing a table discussion. The way it's going to work is uh, we'll just have a couple of minutes to have a conversation, then we'll go to a 20-minute table discussion. So uh, choose a table captain. Um, we're looking for the top. Let me just read this. Um, what are your top three ideas to uh, improve the current legislative framework governing advice? No pressure. Uh, so talk amongst yourselves on the table. Um, there's lots of fodder out there, so you can go any direction you want to go. Um, we'll get some consulting freeze, uh, fees from um, the Australian Law Reform Commission and Treasury soon because we're doing all their great work for them. Uh, and, uh, and so after the 20 minutes, um, we'll get a, a smattering of tables. So whoever's the most collegiate and conversational will we'll pick you uh, to, to give a little bit of a snapshot so we can kind of collect those ideas at the front of the stage. Um, but for now, look, uh, great to have you virtually. Um, where are we here? Where are my notes? Uh, Nathan uh, from Melbourne, um, Head of External Public Affairs and Policy uh, from MetLife. G'day, Nathan. Good morning, team, and uh, good to be on the program, albeit from a distance. Great to see you, and it's uh, great we've got the technology working, so hopefully that's an omen for the remainder of the conference. So I'll just kick straight off with you, Nathan. Have you um, had an opportunity to, to kind of see some of the conversation or at least the notes? Um, you, you've been on both sides as um, so some in this room may have remember you as Premier of New South Wales uh, and now you're within industry. Um, so you've been on both sides and the industry side and the government side. What are some of your thoughts in relation to the best way in which industry can engage with, with government? Sure, that's a, that's a that's a good question and a really important question for any sector. And I guess the observation I'd make as someone um, relatively new to, to a detailed observation of the sector is, is this, that um, those, those industries that have effective peak bodies tend to, get, tend to have more success impacting and influencing regulatory landscapes. And, one of the things that we need to wrestle with is we've got a range of a range of different voices that purport to speak for groups like like advisors and planners, for example. Um, and I think I think that that presents conundrums for, for government and regular regulatory authorities. Who, who do we listen to? Who who, who is going to give us um, the best advice of on things like the commercial realities of any particular regulatory change? Um, but it also dilutes the influence of those groups. So. Um, the sector's huge. You all know that. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's massive and one of Australia's biggest employers. Um, and it's fair to say that different parts of the sector have been pushed around off the back of Royal Commission and in the run-up to a Royal Commission. Um, but hopefully, as the dust settles, uh, we're going to be in a position where we can, as an industry, better prosecute our case um, with policymakers around the different commercial realities that apply on the ground when regulation and compliance regimes, for example, are changed. Um, and I, I should say, we're actually not getting consulting fees from government, so that was a joke, maybe a bad one. So <laughs> apologies for that. Um, but open to... Uh, <laughs> what's, um, what's your experience, Nathan, with uh, the shrinking of the industry? We've had a, a few conversations around the room so far and their experience with the shrinking advice industry. What's your experience, how you're seeing it from your perspective? Yeah, and look, this is one of the reasons that uh, I've, I've, I've taken up 
this role with MetLife. Um, I, th I think most Australians would agree that um, compulsory superannuation has been has been a positive uh, policy measure for ordinary Australians, and um, there's lots of lots of people that you know, will retire at the end of their working life with a significant sum of money that they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't have had. Um, so that's 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 a key consideration for policy settings going forward. But for, for a multitude of reasons, over recent years, we've seen significant reductions in advisor and planner numbers uh, from around 30,000 in 2018 down to a projection of about 13,000 by 2023. Um, so, sorry, 18,000 by 2023. Um, so this is, this is significant and there's a range of reasons for this. Um, many of many of many of the attendees here today will have will have seen up close the, uh, the introduction and implementation of, of Phasia, uh, but there's also been a range of also been a range of other regulatory changes that have that have meant that the landscape is now very different for planners and advisors than it was five or six years ago. And there's there's a, there's a lot of people leaving the industry now. Um, the problem that that creates in a macro policy sense is that we've got generations of people that are going to leave, either, either entering work and are looking, for, are looking for advice on how they save and how they invest their money as they progress through their working life, or they're at the end of their working life and they've got, they've got a lump sum available to them. Um, and the ability to access professional and ethical advice is reducing because there's so many people leaving the sector. Now, this, this manifests itself not only with sole trader type planners and advisors, but those licensees that have dozens of, dozens of, of planners and advisors working for them. Um, the reality for them now is that taking on someone new into a role, um, having them go through the training requirements and so on and so forth, and then hoping they stay with you at the end of that. That's a $300,000, $350,000 investment uh, that has to be made in that individual. So there's real challenges in making sure that as a country, we've got a pool of advisors that can provide ethical and, ethical and professional advice um, for the millions of Australians that are going to need it when they when they exit exit the workforce and during their working life. Um, final question from me: um, a little bit around business models. Um, you know, um, in your part of the industry, obviously commissions are something that uh, is quite prevalent. Um, what's your view on the future state in relation to remuneration for advisors and business models? Yeah, and that's that, that, that's a good question, and it goes to the heart of business models for, for many operators. Um, but look, our, our our position is that uh, should someone choose to purchase a product, whatever that product might be, then they should also have the choice around how they choose to pay for it. And what we've said to government uh, is that there's a review of the quality of advice and the life insurance frameworks that are going to occur over the next 12 months or so. Um, there's been quite prescriptive um, regulatory recommendations around what the quantum of a commission should be. Um, we think that there needs to be a more empirical basis to it. And we're encouraging during the course of these reviews, uh, the conduct, uh, the conduct of, a, of, a, of an independent analysis of uh, what commissions 
should look like, um, what is a reasonable basis for commissions. Uh, but And it should be done independently and, and objectively, uh, but we, we, we hold a view that the, uh, the current recommendations lack some empiricism. Now, ultimately, as I said, um, where consumers choose to buy a product um, and often uh, often that's, that's at a point in life when you know, they're, they're purchasing a home or they've had a, had a baby or something like that, um, sometimes, sometimes purchasing a product through a commission makes more financial sense for them at that point in their life. Um, so we're urging a step away from a prescriptive approach, but also also suggesting that there should be we should use those opportunities uh, of the reviews to have a to have a, an objective examination of what a, what a commission framework might look like. Uh, I'm going to dive in here with a with a question here. Hello, Nathan Rees, uh, Colin Tate here, the CEO of Connexus. Good to see you again, and thanks for joining us. See you. How are you going? Uh, and thanks for uh, MetLife's uh, support and, and showing leadership in the sector. My question is this. We're about to go into workshops where we've got 100 great minds here who are representative of what the future profession uh, will be and can look like. So in creating a positive future going forward for advice, the question I have for you as a, uh, as a politician, uh, you were clearly a Labor Premier uh, in New South Wales before nicking off down to Melbourne to try and help Dan Andrews, I guess. Um, uh, much success. <laughs> I, um, my question is this: uh, one of the one of the the, uh, the murmurings of our sector the last few months is maybe uh, to create real advice, a profession, and guidance, distinguishing guidance for superannuation. We need to tear up all of the over-regulation, all of the rules, all the legislation, all the policy, all the stuff we thought we were doing to fix the whole sector the last 10, 15 plus years, and start again. Now, is that actually realistically a possibility or is that a ridiculous pipe dream in the, the world of politics? Uh, look, I think, I, I think, I think it is possible. Um, and the reason, the reason I say that is that um, there is a recognition everywhere of the speed at which uh, technology and technological innovation is occurring that renders a lot of the processes um, that we've worked with throughout our working lives uh, will render them obsolete or redundant if the technology is used properly. Um, and that applies not just in the finance sector, but it applies in, in legal quarters um, and it applies across a whole range of a whole range of, uh, of other other industries. I mean, uh, the, li the libraries of, of today are look, look very, very different to the libraries that you and I grew up grew up in. Probably should have spent a bit more time in. School for me, but um, libraries have changed fundamentally. For example, um, and I think I think there is an argument. There is an argument that says, look, the technology exists for us to massively streamline compliance regimes and and provide for interrogation of of businesses by by regulatory authorities. But um, what I would say is that it's our responsibility to build a case for change and. What, what regulators and what governments will want is, is, a, is a system that is rigorous, that, uh, that, that is transparent uh, and protects consumers. Um, our job as a, as a sector is to build a case for change that says, look, we believe that the technology exists to do all of those things, but in doing so, uh, massively streamlines uh, the administrative costs of, of compliance, which I know is a, a serious issue for, for many providers. Um, but 
giving them confidence that uh, that we as an industry uh, are up for that challenge. Uh, and uh, the technology exists and building that case for change um, that enables a rigorous, robust and transparent compliance regime to exist on the one hand, but on the other hand, to reduce administrative and red tape overload for businesses, I think they're doable. Yeah, good. Is it fair to say, uh, Nathan, that when, a, when an industry, any kind of industry, um, it's become so problematic to government, as this one did, it became uh, uh, scandal after scandal after scandal, that then overreaction becomes overregulation, which kind of brings us to the point we're in? Is that, is that kind of common in politics as well, would you say? Uh, look, I think, I think you'd, ha you'd have to say there's, there's any number of examples at local, state and, and, and federal level of, of, of overreach over, over the decades. And... I think one of the one of the elements that leads towards over, over, overreach is when there's not effective uh, consultation and dialogue mechanisms with whatever the particular sector is. And I think we need. I think over time, um, when when the dust has settled on the Hain Royal Commission implementation recommendations implementation, I think I think we do need as an industry to be cleverer about how we structure our dialogue with government how we determine what priority areas are. And we're about to head into an exercise where, like you said, you get a hundred of the best and brightest in the room to come up with the, the priority areas. That's great. Um, and we then need to have, um, to work with Treasury, to work with the APRAs of the world, um, to make sure that we're, not, we're, we're, we're unlikely to all agree on everything all the time. But if there's a structured mechanism whereby a commercial reality can be, can be um, outlined for a regulator. In my experience, regulators and ministers welcome that advice um, and they don't want unintended consequences. Um, and if a regulation or, or a compliance regime can be improved by better consultation, in the vast bulk of cases, then ministers <coughs> are, are up for that discussion in my experience. Excellent. Well, look, really, thanks for joining us from Melbourne, Nathan. I know you're looking forward to being with us uh, in person here in the Blue Mountains for two, day, for two days. Sorry you can't be, but uh, until next time, uh, we'll get on with our workshops and let, let Nathan get on with his day. Yeah, okay. Stick around, Nathan, so, around, um, so okay. you can see the outcome. But uh, Please put your hands together, Nathan Rees. Okay, so, so what are your top three ideas to improve the current legislative framework governing advice? Um, Look, all right, thank you. Thanks very much. Shh. All right, we're going to make our way around as many tables as possible to hear your ideas. We're going to start here at table 12. Michael, if you can introduce yourself and dive in. Thank you, Michael Towney from MLC Insurance. Uh, look, I am sitting opposite Dante, but he's ducked out of the room, so it's probably a good time to, to flag one of our ideas. And it was touched on by a few of the speakers before around our industry not having one voice. I think we gave the example of the Mortgage Broking Association. We look back a few years with the mining industry as well. Now, they may have had their own vested interests, and, um, but they pitched their stories around the client or the customer outcome. And so us as an industry having one voice working with government to help them determine what the laws, obligations of our industry should be, I think is is really important. Keep going. You can run through your list. We'll. Uh, um, you got, got a look. Good the laundry other one list. Was yeah. The um, advisor supply challenges we've got. We've got a lot of graduates 
um, studying either financial planning or bachelor or masters, but there's talk that many of them may not even decide to go into our industry. So um, how do we build an infrastructure to, to get the next generation of advisors coming in? We know we've got issues at the other end with advisors exiting. Uh, so how do we create an industry that they see as a profession that they want to be a part of, picking up on a couple of the topics that we've spoken about this morning around trust, professionalism. Okay. And stay in our industry. Thanks, Michael, and thanks, Table 12, and thanks, uh, Dante DeGore, who's just ducked out of the room. Let's go to uh, Darren Werritt's table. What table are you on, Darren? Number one. Of course you are. <laughs> All right, who's, this? who's the table captain? If you can just press the right hand, there we go. Just Hello. Lisa Norris, uh, I'm with the Investment Collective. We are a financial planning company, but also a licensee. I've been in the industry for three and a bit years, so I was the nominated captain, hopefully to have a fresh view. Um, we had some really great discussion. Um, top three ideas. Uh, individual registration was um, talked about a lot uh, on the basis that that means that rather than relying on the licensee, people, individual planners would be taking a responsibility. We've got differing views on all of that because we're a licensee, we're all licensee, it's important. But actually going down to the fact that yeah, ultimately we all, as advisors, want to give great advice to customers. Second, um, clearly defining the roles and responsibility. There's super trustees, there's advisors, there's a whole lot of real confusing stuff in the market. So we thought it was really important to do that. And three, we didn't actually get to three, but for my <laughs> summary of the table, we were it really is about having one voice, like you're all saying, and having a really clear understanding within our industry of what actually happens. Excellent. Thank you, Table One, and thank you, Lisa, for your leadership. We got uh, table thirteen over there, please. Okay. Is that okay? Or is that a curveball? Of course. Let's go there. Let's go to thirteen and over in court. Is your name and organisation? Sure. Uh, Mark Fisher. Work for MLC. We were recently acquired by IWF, so part of the new family. Dash. Um, so with three um, three points that we discussed, we sort of had a good conversation about a couple of things. First one is. We feel like there's tons of data in the marketplace around what everyone's doing, but none of that's shared. So there's no single point of reference for what each licensee or each group does. And so therefore, we've sort of got all this data, but we're not utilising it. So how do we actually bring all this data together? So how do we input that into the process to get a really clear understanding around the inefficiencies that advisors and licensees actually go through on a day-to-day -day basis? in the provision of advice and also running the licence. So getting some real data, compiling that and coming up with a repository around data. The second one is having a standard template for licensees and the provision of advice. Um, every licensee does their own SOA templates. Every licensee does their own ongoing advice contracts. Every licensee does their own FSGs. Why do we not have one industry standard so that we're not spending money creating documents that no one values? So the customer doesn't even look at half this stuff, yet we spend millions of dollars a year in each organisation redesigning and coming up with new templates that are a complete waste of time. So have, if, you, if you want to regulate it, tell us what to do, tell us how to comply, and we will. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, the third point we had is this whole concept of industry. Um, what is the industry? Who is the industry? Who, who actually 
who actually controls it or who actually represents it. Um, we've got factions in our industry. We're not big enough to have factions, so we've got to come together as one industry and represent ourselves to all the appropriate people, being the regulator, being the law reform, et cetera, and most importantly to the customer. Because at the moment, we're a bunch of you know, factions that are arguing internally rather than actually representing out to the broader market. So there are our three. Excellent, thank you. I'm going to come to table nine, represented by Matt Lawler. Matt will be known to most of you, but if not, he's the new head of advice of AMP. Matt? Uh, thanks. Um, uh, just by the way, table nine is not a democracy. It was uh, very much a nomination uh, in this, uh, on this table. We had uh, one, one voice uh, was at the top of our list. Just to add um, uh, some substance to what others have said, is engagement with Treasury and ASIC very early in the process would be good. Often we're getting um, uh, draft legislation with a month to comment on or things like that. But uh, the fact that we've got Mahita and Stephen here from Treasury, um, and there already is a bit of engagement, but if we could get involved as one voice very early in the process, I think that would uh, go a long way to helping some of the things that we're, that we're dealing with today. Uh, the second one was to, um, we probably didn't want to rewrite the law straight away. We think that that could come down the track. Um, but initially it would be identifying key priority areas um, and working together on amending those. So some of the examples that came up included standard three for FASIA. Lots of talk about it, lots of press saying, yes, we should fix it, but let's get together and do it. Let's, let's just make it happen. Um, FDS versus FTA, we're still uh, 30 days away from that. Um, still there's some confusion around that. So let's get together and, and talk about it. Breach reporting, how can we make that workable both for ASIC and for us? Um, and affordable advice just keeps, uh, keeps getting, uh, it's like a volleyball just goes from one area to another, but how do we actually get together and, and fix it? So there are probably those key priority areas that we could do quickly. Um, and then the last one was um, at some point, um, like the good judge said, we, we do need to rewrite the law for simplicity. Uh, but we should base that on an advice profession, not a product distribution um, framework. So we should uh, take Tom's lead and do it as an advice pro profession. Excellent, Matt. Thank you, and thank you all at Table 9. OK, we're pushing up against time, and that means lunch. And we're also going to ask Nathan Rees in a minute to give us a summary of what he's heard through this session before we wrap up. And we'll do some more with the material from all of your feedback uh, in time to come. We're recording this session. Uh, who would like to go that hasn't has something new to say? Yes, okay. Bernie Ripoll, the Honourable. Bernie Ripoll, representing uh, Table Thank something. You, Colin. I'm not sure if I've got anything new to say, but um, uh, so Bernie Ripoll, I'm actually here representing uh, Matt My Plan, Digital Financial Advice, uh, and apparently I'm a relation of FOFA as well. Uh, so we, we had a, a bit of a roving conversation just around a, a number of points that, that we think are really important to this whole discussion. Let's just call it a discussion, particularly around just defining what the problem is before we define all the solutions, because a lot of the solutions uh, are great for you, but it's not great for the industry or anyone else, because they're not actually solving the problem, if we know what the problem is to start with. Uh, and it, it does lend me to think that if you ask a consumer what the problem is, they're not going to say to you that it's uh, comple complexity and compliance at ASIC they're going to have a very different answer, but if you ask a licensee, they're going to tell you something completely different. And if you ask different licensees or an association, or if you ask Treasury what the problem is, it's probably going to be a slightly different answer. And if you ask a, a politician or a legislator or somebody who's arguing it, depending on which side of the fence they sit on, it's also a different answer. And I think that's been at the core of part of this. Why is it so complex? And if we keep saying it's complex, let's ask ourselves why, at least so that we can understand if we want to make it simpler going forward, we've got some idea of the starting point. 
Given that, we did write down three things, though. Um, one was defining the problem, so I think we need to have a closer look at what problem are we referring to. Is it just our internal cost problem of compliance? That is a problem, but is that the problem? Certainly not for the consumer, unless they're paying for it. Uh, the, the other one is just the increased, an increased flexibility in terms of how we deliver advice. You know, what is advice? How do we deliver it? You know, can we make that the simpler part? Uh, and unbundling legislation, I'm not sure we'll get to the bit where we just have simple legislation or throw everything out and start again. Um, that'd be nice. But maybe just starting to look at what are the different elements that require a different legislative solution to that particular problem, rather than having it all bundled into one lot, mm. as often so, the case here. So we've got some uh, words appearing here on the word cloud that uh, Lawrence is putting in, some obvious um, thematics going through, uh, simplification, removal of product advice, individual registration and one voice. Um, so over here, I think it's table five, is that right, table five? Um, please, have we got time for perhaps um, one or two? Yes, Sophie from Madison. Um, probably. I guess our top one was what's very much been said around the room and that one common voice and coming together and I guess back to uh, the table that we spoke before, um, what is the problem we're trying to solve because it's all good having one common voice but if there's different agendas at play then that's, yeah, we're not going to get Different it. agendas, yeah. Okay, look, I, I think we're up against it. Anyone got a burning um, problem that hasn't been um, surfaced during the conversation? Um, table six here, can we get top level from you guys, no? Okay, let's go to Nathan Rees in Melbourne and uh, get your feedback, Nathan. What did you hear around the room? Some commonality there, what do you think we can work with? Yeah, the, the single voice is the, the, the common theme that came out of virtually, virtually every table there. And that's easier said than done, I, I, I accept that. Um, but as a, as a starting point, sitting down, Having, having the different groups sit down and, and agree on a list of priorities is probably not a bad starting point. Um, so I'd encourage all of you to, to speak to your respective member organisations around this. Um, this isn't the first group that I've been to or the first discussion that I've, I've had with planners and advisors in which this has been the dominant theme. So there is clearly a broader resonance on this issue uh, and um, the, peak, the, peak bodies, the peak bodies, I think, um, need to give some thought as to how how you deal with this in the medium and, and longer term because it does go directly to um, your influence and your ability to to impact change. Um, look, the other the other element that I think Bernie touched on, which which I think is a hundred percent, is in identifying the problem. My, my 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 advice to you would be you have to put the consumer at the centre of however it is you're framing the problem. Um, the politicians um, and the regulators are there to protect consumers. Um, so I think that's that's your starting point when you're framing framing your arguments. And I, as, as we said earlier, I think it's I think it's pretty straightforward at the present. We've got um, a looming shortage of of, of, of advisors. Well um, it's one thing it's one thing for us as a country to require people to have 10% of their hard earned go go into compulsory super every fortnight. But we've also then got an obligation at the end of someone's working life as a country to make sure They've got access to professional ethical advice, and that's 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 an argument that I think does resonate with ordinary Australians, um, right up right up to uh, right up to the policymakers. 
Excellent, Nathan. Well, it's a credit to uh, to you and to MetLife that uh, and, and the team at Connexus and our production team live that we can pivot quickly and uh, and and still produce this uh, session. And you uh, you virtually uh, chaired a uh, workshop, so thank you for staying with us in these circumstances uh, and your contribution today. And appreciate you putting on the suit and tie in your lounge room. Um, everyone here uh, can notice it. It's very professional. <laughs> The cat, the cat wandering around, not so much. Um, <laughs> and I also encourage you, those of you who haven't been to the Blue Mountains before, it's a, it's a really stunning place. If you get the chance to have a look around and go for a bushwalk or, or something similar, it's, it's well worth the while, even if it's cold up there today. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and thank you for all the public service you did for us and, uh, and being Premier of our state. And I think that uh, we've, one of the things we've all learned through this last 18 months in, is uh, public officials and being in public life is a thankless task and a very important one, particularly in a crisis. So thanks. Uh, put your hands together. Nathan Rees. Thank you, Professor.